0: Good morning. Today's scripture reading is from Genesis 12:10 through 20 and it can be found on page nine in the Pew Bible. Now there was a famine in the land. so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, "I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, that may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abram, and he had sheep... Oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. Amen.
1: Thank you, Victoria. Let me pray for us. Father God, we now ask for Jesus Christ's sake that the Holy Spirit would be our helper and our teacher. Amen. I have uh, two words that have continued to come to mind As I've been thinking about our new friend Abram And really what his life is like here in Genesis chapter 12 The the two words are, are fear and faith So in one moment he expresses this tremendous faith in God Who has this remarkable plan for his life You go, that's really good And then the next day you find him overcome by fear As he schemes up and he takes matters into his own hands And he makes a mess of things I'd like to propose for us that uh, this back and forth of faith and fear is, is like the common pinch point of faith that we share with him uh, Because uh, we can be steady Christians on Sunday But then by Wednesday we can find ourselves and, doubting and wavering We can be fearful Which is to say that the normative Christian experience Is often one of teeter-tottering between faith and fear Fears Well, We all have things that we fear uh, for some of us, it's bats and tight places. Uh, it's being alone. Uh, we've got those fears. But I actually am thinking about things that are more tucked away, F- fears that sometimes can really undo us, like the, uh, the fear of, of, of embarrassment, uh, of losing face with a friend or a coworker, because you believe that the Bible is the Word of God. And with God as your help, you do your best to live by what it says when it comes to morality and generosity and human sexuality. Which means that inevitably some of us can be quite crippled by the fear of what others think of us And we're concerned that we might come out uh, looking foolish So we fear the opinions of other people Some of us fear not being in control of life We fear suffering And and on some level these fears they have a way in which they really do a job on us They they have a way of, of weakening our faith and trust in God So whether you ask it outright, you might be wondering as you go through one of these dreadful experiences, you go, is God really with me in this? Or on another level, you might say, "Is this seriously, is this worth it? Is it worth following God with all of my life? Or maybe I should just shut it down and do what I want, because it seems like it might be a lot easier and maybe even a lot more fun. But which of us hasn't had thoughts like that cross our mind, especially when you face uh, challenging circumstances in life in which you're aiming to trust God, But you find yourself just worn down and fearful We are a lot like Abram Sometimes we respond to God in faith And at other times we're overcome by our fears We falter and we flame out And in that way, Abraham, Abram, he's actually a surprising help to us That's what Tremper Longman writes He says he's a help to us because Abram is far, far from perfect he will be an encouragement for us to hold on as he did because we too are far, far from perfect. Now, speaking of Abram, uh, you'll recall that last Sunday we, we made note of primarily his, his just remarkable faith. Uh, God shows up and essentially says to him in the first half of the chapter, listen, man, I'm gonna do something so wonderful in your life that it's gonna change the trajectory of human history. I'm going to do remarkable things through you that will bless the peoples of the world. But here's what I want you to do. To, to prove that you trust me, I want you to pack up and leave your homeland. And, and I want you to go forward in an act of, of obedience and an expression of loyalty. I promise Abram it'll be worth it. Will, will you trust me? And essentially, Abram exemplifies his trust uh, via his actions. Uh, that's verses 1 through 9. Uh, Abram exemplifies faith. You go, I like this story And then you come on to verse 10 through 20 And you find that the wheels are coming off the cart Because Abram's faith falters I think his faith primarily falters for two reasons Number one, because he's fearful about circumstances that are beyond his control So his faith comes undone because he's fearful about circumstances that are beyond his control Namely, this big famine The other reason his faith falters is because he's fearful of powerful people There's this looming figure in his life and he becomes undone by him Faith falters So let's take a look at this uh, famine here So that we can understandably recognize why it's so overwhelming to Abram Uh, You'll recall again that God says to Abram in the beginning of the chapter I want you to go to this place called Canaan Uh, Because i'm going to make this your new homeland i'm i'm going to fill the place up with your family descendants Wow that sounds really great lord why don't you show me the way and i assume that as i get there It'll all be like pretty easy for me things will go super swell right lord No that's not how this is going to work He rolls into canaan 400 mile journey from where he was and he finds out that there's not enough food in the land to sustain him and his people Uh, The famine it could have been because of a plague of locusts uh, enemy sieges or from drought Whatever the cause of the famine is this we know and feel don't we verse 10 The famine was severe in the land Severe So this guy hardly has his bags unpacked And he finds out that this place isn't going to be able to support him Lord What's this all about? It's not in the text, but I think that's probably uh, what he's thinking I mean, just take the picture here. Abram goes And does what god tells him to do and instead of life getting easier It actually gets life-threateningly more difficult Well, lord, what's that all about? In one moment, there's this exemplary faith, uh, but now it's starting to to falter Because of this anxiety that's rising up within him about how he's going to get food he says i know you told me to go here but instead he he packs up and he heads for egypt it's a compelling place to go they've got the Nile river that sustains lots of growth but it's not where god said to go he said i want you to go to, to canaan i want you to go to this place egypt is miles and miles away to the south you see, this, what's being inferred here is that this, this famine represents the first obstacle to the fulfillment of the promise that God would make Abram a great nation in this particular bit of land here, and then he faces this, this pinch point of faith. I think the question basically comes down to this. Will Abram trust what God has said even though his eyes tell him what seems to be to the contrary? Now we might say, "What's the big deal about going to to Egypt? Why how, how is a temporary relocation such a bad idea?" Well, uh, it is a sensible option, but it's really not the one uh, that is best and wise because it Im- it immediately places God's promise to Abram in jeopardy. So, by going to to Egypt, even if it's temporary, uh, it's an indication that Abram is willing to give up his claim to the land of promise. It makes sense. He'd want to go there. It's easier there. His logic is understandable, but his thinking it's undermining God's plan Uh, Essentially it comes down to this for Abram instead instead of trusting what God says he wants to to play the part of God Uh, Tremper Longman he puts it together like this. He says Abram had forgotten that the God whom he serves was greater than his problems He thought that God needed some help in fulfilling his promise He thought too much about the potential disasters that might befall him and too little about obeying God and letting the chips fall where they may. Which is to say, Abram, to use our vernacular, stumbled over all of the what about, what about, what about questions that he saw before him. And again, in that way, I go, well, we get that, don't we? You've you've got your what about questions, I've got mine. Oh, what, what about it? What if I follow God's ways, but things don't work out like I hoped? Well, what if I stick to what God says and I end up losing this relationship? Well, what if I hold the ethical line in the workplace and I just get passed over by promotion after promotion and I get stuck in this job? Well, well what about? Th- those are the whatabouts. What about it? Will you uh, trust the Lord with all of your whatabouts? What abouts? I think what we're seeing in Abram is that he had, as Trumper said, had lost sight of the fact that the God whom he served was was greater than his problems and his whatabouts. And in a lot of ways, I think he just kind of drifted into self-help mode. Maybe that's the picture right there. I got. Let me figure this thing out. He'd forgotten that the God he served was greater than his problems and uh, has answers for his questions. Christian person, do you, do you see yourself in these things? Have you just been in a perpetual workshop state of anxiety Because you just find yourself going, well, what about? What about? The first reason that Abram's faith falters is Because he's just fearful about circumstances that are beyond control And don't misunderstand things The the fears are legit, the fears are real They're, They're not imagined But he's allowing his fears to outsize his faith in God's promises to him uh, the, the what about questions get the best of him Now the other element in play that challenges his faith has to do with this powerful egyptian pharaoh who, who he fears will will threaten him So his, his faith falters secondly because he's he's fearful of, of powerful people uh, The the little passage says that after arriving in, in egypt It takes really a short amount of time before abram gets himself into a, a heap of a mess you mean like it wasn't a good idea to go to egypt? Yeah, I think that's the point that's being made Now, why is he in a heap of a mess? Strangely enough because he has a beautiful wife And he's concerned that the residents of egypt will want to dispose of him So that they can take possession of her Now generally speaking, uh, hebrew narrative rarely describes the physical features of the characters involved So if we're being told that Sarai is beautiful, it's important to the storyline She uh, is in fact a a beautiful woman. She's aged uh, 65 You can uh, imagine her in her very modest attire uh, Perhaps just portions of her face sticking out and yet uh, uh, There's this beauty that radiates from her. Her eyes are stunning. Uh, I think her form was fit And it's for this reason that Abram He's just really nervous He expects that she will be desired by others and that they're going to off him Uh, Perhaps if you've ever traveled internationally, you might have a sense of what is undoing him You're in a culture that is in your own and you just have a sense of like, am I okay? Am I okay? Am I okay? I think that's what's going on with Abram Well, he he gets uh, in response to his fears. He gets crafty. He gets schemy. He suggests to Sarai, hey listen, honey, how about I I call you uh, my quote-unquote sister? Because then he'll be in a position to like uh, negotiate her marriage proposal Since that's the role of brothers in the ancient Near East And uh, the genius of the ruse is there's a half-truth to it It makes us kind of uncomfortable But uh, Abram and Sarai really can claim that this is technically true Because they have the same father while they have a different mother And so he's therefore able to conveniently withhold any reference to their marriage Bottom line, it's a sketchy plan. I mean, just think about it. He, he's willing to risk his honor and his wife's purity so that he can like advance himself on a technicality. And this fear within him—it just demonstrates a lack of trust in God's recent promises. Who said, "Hey, I'll look out for you. I'll bless those who bless you. I'll, I'll curse those who curse you. I'll be your shield and I'll be your defender." God just told him that. He knows the facts. But in this moment, he's more fixated on, again, I say his whatabouts He's more fixated on his fears than he is on trusting his God who's more powerful than his problems Well, as anticipated, it doesn't take very long before uh, his caper uh, kicks into motion Verse 15, it just pushes the story forward with the line Pharaoh's officials praised Sarai to Pharaoh She's taken to his home After all, Pharaoh thinks that Abram is her brother And so he uh, enriches Abram as a way of dowry With uh, gifts and resources Male and female servants Among those servants is the very likely inclusion Of a woman called Hagar Who will show up in a prominent way later on in the story now be- before we go any further, I-, I think it's worthwhile to pause for a minute so uh, that we can just make sure we get what's going on here It's kind of ugly, but we got to call it what it is. Do, do-, do you see Abraham in his rationalizing uh, behavior? Well, good, because that's in fact what we're supposed to see But we're not supposed to just see it and point a finger and go ta, 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 ta. It's-, it's actually supposed to become a mirror in which we say, oh, you mean like I sometimes rationalize the behavior that I, I want to do? After all, we, we do have a wonderful tendency to rationalize and do the things that we know we shouldn't do But we just tell ourselves excuses Well, it's not really that big of a deal I don't think anybody else will be really affected by it. It'll be largely unseen I mean in bottom line, come on I've got the thing that god's gonna forgive me all of my sins. So hey, you know, let it rip we rationalize sinful behaviors and decisions I think mostly because we treat God's grace and mercy rather cheaply It's a painful reflection that we see but whenever we want to do something wrong We really will be able to come up with reasons and excuses for doing it or we'll just go I'm just going to do it because I want to do it And if we can't scheme up our own plan There's little doubt that the evil one will cloud our thinking and he will be quite happy To send us down the path of compromise The path of compromise That's what's happening here Abram is scheming up plans Because he's fearful Of a powerful person In his life Again I say it's understandable It's relatable Uh, But this fear of of, of someone else Or uh, a man or a woman It's actually quite incompatible With Christian faith It's why the Proverbs uh, They counsel us that they pl- they plead with us to believe that actually the fear of the lord that the revering of the lord of the most important person in your life his thoughts about you if you fear him the most in all of the best of ways it's actually the key to living a, a wise and godly life it's, that's how the, one of those famous proverbs put it it says hey listen trust in the lord with all of your heart Don't go leaning on your own understanding Put away the self-help book Don't lean on your own understanding Instead in all of your ways acknowledge him And he will make your paths straight You see friends before you get really put off with Abram His fearfulness that sends him down the pathway of compromise Because he fears people Maybe we need to pause and look for ourselves In his rationalizing and sinful scheming Lord I don't want to fear people I want to fear and revere you in the best of ways in my life Now The description of what happens With Sarai It's, it's ambiguous I think purposefully so Because we're told uh, that Sarai Is taken to Pharaoh's uh, Palace or harem uh, And that's all the further detailing that there is She's taken to him There, there seems to be nothing Explicit that happens If it was, I think we would read that he violated her or he lay with her But it just appears that she merely takes up some sort of residence in the home She's with Pharaoh, Abram, in his tent I couldn't help but say, man, that guy had to just be freaking out Such anxiety, what in the world have I done? And you go, well, it was a very awful thing that you did And I think that's what the scriptures are putting before us It's it's allowing the ugliness of what it is to be called ugliness he, he's selfish He's full of fault for the mess that he's gotten himself in Again to quote Tremper Longman he says By making Sarai act this way He treats his wife like property in, Indeed he uses her like he is her pimp Hoping to benefit from her sexual favors Abram demonstrates that he, he is acting out of fear Lacking confidence in God's ability To take care of him and protect him But even so in the end God does protect him In the midst of all of his doubts As God sends serious diseases On Pharaoh and his household You see just when it seems like This thing's done Abram is he's, he's, He's disqualified himself completely Something remarkable happens His faith begins to falter And God intervenes in his faltering faith as according to verse 17, he afflicts Pharaoh's household With some sort of plague Again, the disease is unexplained I think it probably pertains to sex Which is uh, why it leads Pharaoh to the realization that Sarai is the cause In fact, she may have said, excuse me, sir, I think I need to tell you something here And so the next thing you know, verse 18, Pharaoh is questioning Abram What in the world is this you have done? Why, did, why didn't you shoot straight with me? You almost made a mess of your life and mine But before we get to that Just let the snapshot just sort of linger there well, What do we see of Abram? We see a schemer A liar A user of other people But in spite of his faltering faith God extends him grace And he ends up turning the tables on the Egyptians so he brings trouble against Pharaoh's household as a means of protecting and delivering Abram's household. Friends, you gotta see through the ugliness to actually get to the, you to the best part of the story, which is the redemptive part of the story, that this passage is not ultimately about be like Abram. There is something to that. But more than that, this story is about the grace and the keeping power of God. As we see how patient he is with Abram's fears and faults. Uh, someone I was reading said that God is stubbornly gracious and patient with Abram uh, that, That's a line right there God is stubbornly gracious He's stubbornly patient with Abram What God shows us about himself Is that his, his grace often appears uh, compelling and beautiful to us When we see what a mess and how ugly we are How dark and foolish we have made life for ourselves and others And for as grievous and as selfish as as Abram is You read the story and you discover that his failures don't define his usefulness to God He he makes a mess of things, he's he's selfish But his failures don't disqualify him from God's promises to him You just might want to take that to heart and go, yeah, I needed to hear that today My failures don't disqualify me in the Lord Jesus Just take the story, even as Abram acts with unbelief in his heart, even as It's the Lord who rescues him Why? Because he promised to him, you belong to me His faith falters, God intervenes in his faltering faith Now, but we have application to this, I think it's right for us to pause for a moment and uh, Like ask the question outright, well, what, uh, when uh, where or in what ways uh, does uh, your faith falter? Pretty unlikely. It'll be a Pharaoh figure who's looking to give you trouble this week, but, but surely you go, yeah, but there are powerful people in my life and, and I fear them. Or it's their opinion that I just so desperately need, and uh, that reality it just bears down heavy upon me. W- what are the deep fears that undermine your faith? What are the fears that you actually need to confess to god as as sin and repent of today? Is it the fear of rejection from those that you admire? Is it the concern that someone will take advantage of you if you stick with god's promises to you? Well, what's the underlying fear in your life that erodes away your faith? Is it rejection? Humiliation? Suffering? Uncertainty? Tim Keller, the author, he frames the inquiry in this way. He says, The greatest nightmare of the approval addict is rejection. Of the power addict is humiliation. Of the comfort addict is suffering. And of the control addict is uncertainty. Let me parse it out. So for example, if it's the approval and acceptance of others that stirs up your heart the most, you, you know that your greatest fear is being rejected by people that you look up to If it's your want of power and influence that gets you out of bed each morning You 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 know that the worst thing in the world that could ever happen to you would be for you to look foolish in the in the eyes of other people and to face humiliation If it's like a a comfort and certainty in life that makes you feel whole Well, you know that what keeps you awake at night is the fear of suffering and the greatest fear of someone who demands control, of course, is, is uncertainty, which is why when you feel out of control, you, you get angry, you lash out at other people, or you just you, you crumple in upon yourself. We all have functional gods, uh, fears or, or ideals that, that drive us. I think we're supposed to read a passage like this and then ask ourselves, well, what are the deep fears that undermine uh, my faith? What works to undo your hope in God? What threatens to weak your trust in God's uh, character? Don't misunderstand. Our, our fears are real. But our fears are also sinful and need to be confessed to God. You just say, Lord, please forgive me for making someone or something uh, the biggest desire of my life. Uh, forgive me for this. Uh, I actually need you to forgive me. I need you to help me. Really, I I need you to to change me Today is a day for us to confess the things which have become sinful It's also a day for us to see through abram's sinful fears that the god who calls us his own he, He really does have power over all that makes us Fearful He's full of power Not only that, but he's also full of Compassion For jesus god's son Knows what it is to be humiliated. He knows what it is to be rejected. He knows what it is to suffer in the darkest of ways. He's the very picture of trusting, even in view of the trouble to come. You remember what he said to his heavenly father? Hey, not, why, not my will, but, but your will be done. And what the Lord Jesus says to those who belong to him, he says this, he says, listen, I will never leave you. Even when everybody else turns their back on you and you feel rejected and you feel humiliated I I will be right there with you I'll I'll be right there with you and and I will walk with you through the valley I think he says you can trust me When you feel uncertain and scared Because of course I willingly died for you. I gave myself for you. Do you think that I'm not going to give up on you? Do you think that I'm going to deal cruelly with you? After all Unlike Abram, who told a lie to save his life, whose scheming put Sarai in danger's way, Jesus never did any of that. He always told the truth, even knowing that it would cost him his life. And the always truth telling Son of God bravely stood strong. Why? So that liars and schemers and deceivers and manipulators would have a way for their trespasses to be forgiven And a new start in life to be granted to us Jesus was pierced for Our transgressions He was crossed for Our iniquities The punishment that brought us peace Was laid upon him And then of course following the suffering on the cross Jesus well, he, he rose from the dead in glorious forms In glorious form. Which means that the resurrection assures us That God's power is greater Than the most powerful fears that we face Namely death, the uncertainty of life God's judgment and of course the forces of evil Those are very legit fears But Jesus' resurrection power Is at work in the life of 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 a Christian And his power is greater than any foe or fear that we face It's greater than all of them This is what the gospel promises to us it's why it's, it's with regularity That we finish our service And then you'll notice the pattern is That we, we, we read a final verse to us We say, he- "Hear the words of the Lord As we go from each other And one of my favorite verses to, to read f- For me and for you Comes from 1 Thessalonians Before we gather up our belongings We head out into the week I say, here's what you need to, need to know That the Lord God says about you May God himself The God of peace Sanctify you through and through May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus. The one who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. My favorite part is the end. He will surely do it. It's a way of saying that God promises to keep us even through our unfaithfulness and repeated failures, even when we follow it up and we give in to sin and fear. Which is to say our failures don't undo God's promises Our fears don't negate his His faithfulness to us It's what we're going to sing about in our closing song in in just a minute Uh, This idea that our our failures don't undo God's promises to us in the Lord Jesus Even when we falter badly It's one of my favorite lines in the song that we sing you go Because it's so honest you go you mean Jesus is still faithful to me Quote even when Temptation claims the battle and it seems the night has won and I justly stand accused you, know, you mean those moments when I did it? I sinned egregiously My fears knocked me down. I put other people that I love in a compromised position I cower before the opinions of other people. I justly stand accused All of that is undeniably so But the good news of the gospel promises me that in the Lord Jesus, that God is never done with me. The one who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. His arms are are open to the, the penitent, the one who says, I got it wrong. Please forgive me. Please help me. Please change me. Our failures do not undo God's promises to us in the Lord Jesus, nor do our fears. Have the ability to negate God's faithfulness to us Again, it comes out in the song lyric That says this that um, This is a Christian person singing these words Even though the floods of unbelief Come crashing over me And these things are threatening to to drown me Uh, Surely you've had those moments Where where you're just just wrecked You you feel so hopeless and, and worthless So helpless Overcome by unbelief well, the gospel says to us, even in those moments, especially in those moments, that the Lord Jesus is sure and steady with us. You go, how can it be so? Because the author says, because in my despair and feelings of hopelessness, I lift my eyes up to Calvary and I see his love forever proved. I, I then look to his empty tomb and, and I feel the hopefulness of his resurrection power at work in me. This is what I mean in saying that the one who calls you is faithful He will surely do in you what you can't do in your own strength He will surely do in you what he promises to you Which is to never give up on you He's going to bring your whole spirit soul and body to a full completion to himself All of you is going to all of him Why? Because he says surely I I will do it You see, friends, in Jesus, the the promises of God uh, come to us. What are those promises? Well, that who he was to Abram is who he continues to be in you and me. With great faithfulness, he intervenes uh, time and time again to save us from our faltering, our fearfulness, our stupidness, our sinfulness. Why? Because the one who calls you will keep you. He is faithful even when we are faithless. He will keep you, he will surely do it.